You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we're probably retarded. I'm your host, Justin Emlesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. A couple months ago, I think it was July. Yeah, it was July. It was July because the episode Daniel was on. I talked about an article I was going to get published. Things have happened with that. Uh, now there's going to be a number of articles. I have three planned. And they're all going to go on my own personal website. Uh, I don't know the amount of time it will take until those articles get published because I have a lot of just responsibilities, commitments to take care of. But I'll be working on those articles in between my commitments. So that's something to look forward to, to keep on your radar. Again, uh, I don't know when they're going to be published on the website, but they will be there And that article that I told you about that retrospective, uh, it didn't disappear. And in fact, I would say another retrospective is going to come before it. And then I'm going to have a more forward looking article as a third article. So some things to look forward to. But before we talk about months out, we have to talk about things that have happened recently in the world. Uh, Some interesting stuff in the past week or so. Let's get into it. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, Identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yes, another exciting week uh, here in Los Angeles. Uh, people defying lockdown. Uh, it rained, uh, more like sprinkled. Uh, had a nice, uh, took my motorcycle up to uh, uh, Malibu and drove around a bit. Had ice cream with a friend. So, pretty good. Uh, pretty good week so far, but... Exciting day today. We're recording a little early for those of you in Discord uh, because we split our games last week. So kickball finals is this weekend. We uh, today, uh, probably yesterday, as you listen to the show, I have to win three games in a row. My team does in order to uh, be the champion. So uh, it's going to be a busy day. Yeah, you guys have some like college World Series rules to this. <laughs> Well, I don't know who who will play the last two games yet, but uh, the we're playing the other person in the loser bracket because uh, it's double elimination. So if we win the first game, then we're playing the uh, the two teams left in the winners bracket. Right. So because even though you're in the losers bracket, you can still get first if you beat everybody. Right. Exactly. Yep. That's how a double elimination ter- tournament works. At least my understanding. That's not how every double elimination tournament works. That's how the College World Series works and apparently your uh, kickball league. But in, in wrestling, you know, in high school and college, if you lose, you get put in the loser's bracket. And then unless there's a true third place match or a true second, they call it, true second, the highest you can get is third unless there's a true second place match. So you can't get all the way back up to first place. Mm. Okay. So something you mentioned was the defiance of the lockdowns. Uh, That's something interesting that I think has been happening around the world. So let's get into it in 
Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's themidside.com slash Patreon, themidside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all amounts, including affirmations. William, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, and it's sort of, I think, changed a little bit this weekend, at least, you know, when I was looking at social media the past couple of days. But the first thing was uh, the example of New Zealand when we're talking about COVID. And there was one particular article, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous uh, in response to the fact that before we even talk about the article, New Zealand locked down again over a single case of COVID-19 in their entire country. This is crazy. It's uh, it's almost. I mean, you contrast that. I mean, Australia is also doing crazy shit. So, is something? I know it's winter down there, but is the winter is coming? Mean maybe we've taken it too far. I mean, I wish it was as simple as they were just trying to meme about this, trying to meme about this. It's just the the overemphasis of this virus, right? And we've talked about this before on the show that we're overreacting. That if this was something like the bubonic plague, okay. Lockdown over a single case. But what is New Zealand going to do for the rest of human existence? Are they going to keep everyone out and always lock down over this? It's not possible to control a virus like this. We've talked about this at length. And this article, it's a Business Insider article, and the, the headline talks about this, and it says, it's scary, but it's the right thing to do. It being you know, sending the whole country back into lockdown. And there was one particular part of this article that really, really sort of stood out to me. And it's two short paragraphs, just like four or five sentences. Between the lockdowns, life has been as close to normal as it could be anywhere in the world. I've been to films, comedy shows and concerts, birthday parties, a ski weekend to the South Island. It's been easy to forget about the virus. So first thing, William, before we even go in the second paragraph, um, living in Florida, that's been what life is like. And his, his statement here, it's been easy to forget about the virus. This is something that's really interesting to me because it, I've actually thought about this a lot during the pandemic. And I've thought about sort of comparing it to my atheism. And what I mean by that is a lot of people reject atheism and atheists because they're militant about it. And atheists think often about God. And they think often about how they don't believe in God or their lack of belief or whatever you want to say. Uh, and I'm not saying all atheists. I'm just saying like this is you know a segment of the population. But for me, I, I just it, God doesn't factor into my life. I only think about God in instances. I think about the concept of God in instances such as this one where it's in the discussion. And for me, it's become the same thing about the virus. The virus does not pop into my head. As a thought, as a concept, obviously, like it could go into my airways or whatever, right at the, vi- the actual virus itself. 
physically. But I mean, metaphorically, it doesn't go into my my head. It doesn't pop into my head unless like I see a sign at Disney Springs that says masks on in all indoor locations. And even at that point, I don't necessarily think of the virus. I just think, oh, I have to put masks on or, oh, that's stupid. And when I see other people in masks, I don't necessarily even think of the virus. So it's interesting that this article sort of even acknowledges that. And I think this is sort of, and this is what I'll throw to you, I think this is sort of a result of our our culture of always having information streamed into our heads at all times. When you're on these feeds all the time, right, social media, even your phone updating you with notifications, you're allowing somebody else, even if it's just an algorithm, to implant thoughts into your head. And I think his statement, it's been easy to forget about the virus, is an example of this. The virus is easy to forget about if you treat it as it actually is. And you're not anti-reality and you're treating it like the bubonic plague. Yeah, it's just hearing the, uh, you know, which is the virus? Is it, is it the virus that's the problem or the mind virus about these lockdowns that spread through social media and, and made people accept this as a valid way to actually fight the virus? I mean, what, what is the real virus here? I think that's a great way of saying it. I think the real virus is a hundred percent the virus of, uh, I don't want to say dis or misinformation. I just want to say it's the amount of information. Does that make sense? It's sort of like, have you ever heard where people say you can get uh, water poisoning or what do they call it when you drink too much water? Yeah, yeah. Those people it's who, sort of uh, the, yeah, those people with the we, we covered that story years back. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying? Like even a good thing there can be too much of and it can harm you. I think that's the, the, the point we're at with all this information and mm-hmm. not being able to disconnect from it and having it replace your own thoughts. And I think that sort of leads into this second paragraph here. You remember he's talking about it's easy to forget the virus. And then he says, the only reminders are the QR codes we scan when entering businesses, the masks we wear on public transport. For many months, COVID simply hasn't been a big part of many people's lives. I think those statements are contradictory, William. So you're okay with that you have to scan a QR code every time you enter their building? What happens if you don't scan a QR code? Where does the data for the QR code go? And it's like I said, masks on public transport. I think that that's where they're backing off to. I said at the beginning of all this that they were originally going to try and make us wear masks at all times. But I think now the plan is to make us wear them only in public areas. And that's going to be sort of their little creep, their growth of government creep forward, their authoritarian creep. Authoritarian was the word I'm looking for. And this person is just okay with this. Those aren't, you know, oh, it's easy to forget about the virus, even though uh, I'm being tracked at all times very explicitly and controlled. Well, I mean, I guess we'll see if the Delta Force variant versus uh, New Zealand lockdown is going to actually make a difference or if they'll go through a cycle just like everyone else. I mean, they're saying the lockdown is going to be short and sharp and somehow I'm pressing F to doubt. I mean, we've seen we've seen that the Delta variant is ha- is easier to transmit and but uh, slightly weaker in certain uh, ways. 
So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if going to the grocery store and exercising outdoors and uh, staying home is really going to make any difference. I mean, it, it didn't make a difference in places like in densely populated places. Maybe it will make a difference um, in New Zealand, but I can't see it doing anything different than what it did in rural America, which was uh, or suburban America, where it just delayed the inevitable um, uh, transmission. Well, and that's what I'm saying about New Zealand and, and locking down. Are they going to stay locked down in perpetuity to get into New Zealand if you're going to go there on vacation or to visit family or something or to do business? Are you going to have to wait in sort of an airlock? If you remember airlocks from Star Trek where they had to, like, uh, decontaminate you before you came on the station or the ship? Are they going to are they going to do that in New Zealand anytime anyone wants to come in for the rest of human history? Because otherwise, they're sort of just delaying the inevitable. Yeah, I, I think I think there are a certain amount of people who are starting to realize what we said way back at the beginning, which this is this is worse than the flu, but it is more like the flu than people realize, and it will never go away. Just well, like it's flu, becoming more like the flu with what you just said. Yeah. It's becoming more like the flu with the mutations, and that was even something I saw recently. I think it was uh, Daniel shared it with us in the in the thread, I think, in, in the text thread, in the group message, uh, where most of the people now who are getting it are younger. Perhaps, William, a virus which survives by having hosts, right? A virus is parasitic. Perhaps a virus mutated, a virus that infected older people and killed those hosts— Right, which is bad for the virus, right? Because the host dies and then the virus has to find a new host. Perhaps the virus mutated to infect younger people and not kill them because that makes it survive longer. Do you understand my logic? Now, I'm not uh, ascribing any sentience to the virus here, but this is what viruses do, don't they? There was a large population that was uninfected or unharmed by this. And now the virus can use that that population as a host. Isn't that natural? Isn't that the way nature works? Yeah, it's evolution in action. Right. Now, that's not saying we shouldn't protect ourselves from it or anything. But New Zealand here, this is acting anti-reality. They're not looking at the facts as to what's actually going on. The facts of what's actually going on have never been looked at. And, you know, you mentioned the word cycle. I will say that I think the cycle may be getting better this time. And I think we can kind of look back on our previous summer, not the one that just happened, but the one prior to that, a little bit differently. And what I mean by that is, did you see some of the stuff that people are starting to sort of fight back and it looks like there's mini riots coming out in Australia? Yeah, I've been seeing the coverage. uh, uh, Memeology 101 has a news channel uh, now and he's been posting uh, raw video of uh, from uh, confirmed video from the protests and it's uh, it's uh, nice to see that 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 same sense of life in Australia that we saw here in the United States. Well, right, and what's interesting about it to me that sense of life is remember when this all initially happened and I said there's going to be some sort of explosion. And what I meant by that is you can't keep everyone locked inside without there being some um, equal and opposite force because you're forcing everyone to keep their energy inside and keep their natural uh, 
state of existence inside. So there's going to have to be pushback. And then the pushback we saw were, you know, all the riots in regards to the racial justice. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps, perhaps, William, the media was aware that there would have to be pushback. And so they provided a channel for that to happen. If you understand what I'm saying, that they said, oh, people are going to need something to do with their energy. So they gave them a cause for their energy. And it wasn't uh, global warming. I mean, look at what they were given. Yeah. That video of George Floyd was horrific, was it not? It was. And it's it's really easy to run with that. And the media is excellent. The thing that the media is best at that I think they get underplayed for is is pivoting. And they can really take something in reality and run with it. I mean, a perfect example is what's going on in, you know, the craziest place in the United States where you live, William, California, is this recall. So look how the media, along with Gavin Newsom, because they're hand in hand there in California, right? The media and and the Democratic Party. Look at how they've pivoted over this recall, right? I think, I think the recall, William, is it's democracy in action. It's proof the system is still working in California. The idea that Gavin Newsom has handled the pandemic so poorly that the state is on the verge of recalling him. What do you think? Yeah, it's uh it, the the LA Times has gone apoplectic with uh and we'll talk about a story coming up on that. Um it's it, you know, I'm looking at the the polling data from 538. Uh they as it keeps getting closer and closer the the to the uh recall election, it's basically too close to call. Uh the of course 538 is saying that he's going to be kept but like everyone i talk to is talking about how they're going to um vote to recall and here's the thing justin whether or not you requested an absentee ballot they sent out ballots for this election to every eligible voter every registered voter in california at least in la county well yeah that that's part of the pivot and 538 is part of what i'm talking about with that is so this exists there's this there's this fervor there's this movement in california to say newsom's been bad we need to get rid of him so we're recalling him and all the polling has been against newsom and the number one candidate's been larry elder and the number of things they've done to pivot and turn this into a controversy when it isn't is 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 mind-blowing i mean you're talking about the ballots that's nuts. You're talking about 538 talking about the polling data being close all of a sudden when it hasn't. And uh, there was a while where they even tried to say Newsom and the media, the, the local L.A. media, tried to say that the recall was a QAnon conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, it was a QAnon conspiracy. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. like there's no way you can get that many uh, folks voting to recall in a fully Democrat state, right? Uh, just this is the bluest of blue states. There's not enough voters to do that, right? Not it, right, even to show up on the polls and in the numbers that they're seeing, right? In, in the numbers well, that they're showing, many, sorry, and, and, that they're showing. Right, William. And how many of those voters in the blue state are even aware of what QAnon is? Because I'm going to be completely honest with you, I still am not clear about what QAnon is. 
Like, it seems like maybe it's a random Twitter account that people follow and get information from. I, I don't know. I, I still don't know. And if I don't know what QAnon is, how many of those people know? Yeah, none of them. Yeah. Right. And then the new thing they're doing is they're pivoting with that, and they're going slightly to the side of that. They're shading it a little differently, and they've been going after Larry Elder, essentially calling him a racist. Uh, there's been calling a number him of articles. Uncle Tom. About- Let's be clear. Calling him an Uncle Tom. Well, Uncle Tom is one of their, quote-unquote, to use their terms, dog whistles for being racist against yep. a a person who is black. Well, I don't even know how to say it anymore, right? I don't even want to call someone a racist anymore because it's just like there was even a point in this article we're going to talk about where it's like he's skin folk but not kin folk. It's like before we even go into this article, William, that phrasing, the fact that somebody even says that in their life – That's insane to me. That seems like the most racist, shallow statement ever. And part of what makes it so racist is how shallow it is. As if someone's going to be your kinfolk just because you're skinfolk. Hey, I I live this life every day in California, in in Los Angeles. A a gay man who owns guns and uh, isn't a social justice uh, person. uh, radical leftist, like you know, I've I've been told many times that I'm not gay. This is why I have to give up my gay privilege in order to be on the show. Otherwise, no one would listen to me. No one would believe me. Right, and that's why I think this article and the paragraph I'm going to pull out here is something you can especially speak to. So they've had a number of ones, but there, this is a column. It says Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. Think about that. Now they put a they they capitalize black and there's a space between black and face, but you know what you're writing when you write that headline is the black face of white supremacy. Think about that. Yeah. Think about that headline. Now here's here's the paragraph that's especially egregious to me. I know social media has pulled out a bunch all over, but this is the one that's particularly egregious, and I think it speaks to exactly what you just said, William. So just talking about what's so bad about what's so bad about Larry Elder. It's that perhaps out of spite or perhaps out of an insatiable need for attention, Elder opposes every single public policy idea that's supported by black people to help black people. This has been true for decades, but is particularly problematic given the racial reckoning following the murder of George Floyd. So first of all, this is what I'm talking about with using the George Floyd murder to uh, create a stream of people's emotions and attention and energy, right? They're, they're doing it again. They're calling it a racial reckoning, right? And then also, listen, listen to this. Elder opposes every single public I- policy idea that's supported by black people to help black people. So well, <laughs> if all of a group of people support it, you must support it. And then yeah, the only possible reasons he couldn't support it are spite- or your need for attention. So it can't be that you've just assumed collectivism and that collectivism is going to help anyone, right? Well, Supported by black people to help black people. It's either because he's being spiteful or he needs attention. Dude, it's not, it's not even, it, it's, you're, you're applying logic and consistency to it at that level. Uh, you can, you, you don't even have to go to that level. Uh, read it again. Every single policy that could that are supported by black people could help black people, right? 
That's what that's what the quote says. Something like that, right? Doesn't Larry Elder support school choice? Also, don't a majority of black folk in California support school choice? Therefore, this statement is just propaganda. I don't even have to go any further than that. No, I agree. That's my entire point. My entire point is it's propaganda and it's gaslighting. It's saying unless you accept our views as representative of the the collective black community, right, which is assuming collectivism, then you're operating out of spite or a need for attention. That is the definition of gaslighting, is it not? Oh, it those is. other it policies is. don't exist. I mean, exist. we know we we know how much Black Lives Matter supports the family, quote unquote, right? I'm sure. Well, I'm I mean, sure they, a majority of, of of Black people share their the Black Lives Matter's view on destroying the family. Well, they quote the the Black Lives Matter co-founder in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, he's a clear Malina and present Abdullah. danger. Yeah, he's yeah. a clear. He's a danger. A clear and present danger, says uh, Melina Abdullah, co-founder of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. A Trump fanboy. Larry Elder, a Trump fanboy. All they're trying to do is, like you said, it's propaganda to scare people into keeping Newsom. It's to say, oh, this guy is scarier than Newsom, so keep Newsom. That's all this is. And just the uh, the dishonesty and the, and the psychological tactics. There, there's not even an attempt anymore to argue ideas. There's not even an attempt anymore to argue ideas. We are literally down to the level of, William, we're down to the level of your mind isn't good enough. Your mind is crazy unless you accept what we say. That is the point we are at. Yeah. Yeah. This this uh, this rampant tribalism trying to keep people in line. I mean, Larry Elder's been talking about this for a long time, right? Um, so this isn't anything new. This line of attack isn't anything new. And you know what, Justin? It's not going to be effective. I'm not saying Larry Elder's going to win. What I'm saying is people look at this and they don't... They, they've gone so far in the collectivism and social justice that a lot of people just will look at this and be confused. Right? What What are they talking about? And let's right. be honest, Mo- most not, people- not a lot of people are not even going to see it because it's in LA Times. Right. And most people who do see it or hear these kind of things just go, how can a black person be anti-black? That makes no sense. So, I mean, that is that is the hopeful thing. So. When do you know when the recall is over? And second question, not about Larry Elder in specific, but do you think Newsom's going to be recalled or do you agree with 538? So two questions there. Uh, I think that. I think that Newsom's going to be recalled. I have no idea who's going to win the uh, governor governor's sweepstakes. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, there's so many candidates that it's uh, hard to predict who will, who would win that. And here's the thing. Uh, it almost doesn't matter because I think there's only like a year and a half left before the actual next governor race. And you know that the the you may not be aware, but for the listeners uh, in California, of course, the uh, state assembly and Senate are super majority veto proof Democrat. So if you elect a Republican as governor, absolutely nothing will get done. Nothing, which in some ways could be good. Right. Uh, but uh, if 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 it was uh, not veto proof, but since it's veto proof, it's going to be worse than nothing is going to get done. They're just going to do whatever they want. 
and and just blame it on uh, whoever's the next governor for the year and a half. So, uh, so yeah, I, in one way, it's good. We're going to get rid of the, of, of Newsom, but when I'm looking at it, like, you know, trying to consider, well, who do I want to vote for? It doesn't matter. I, the more important vote is just the uh, recall, voting yes to recall, and then I don't care after that. Yeah, it's more just funny that Newsom's going to get recalled. I mean, that's maybe. That's awesome. uh, I mean, hey, we're we're getting Garcetti to be uh, uh, ambassador to uh, uh, India or somewhere, so uh, we're getting rid of the mayor in Los Angeles as well. So. Maybe uh maybe Newsom will get promoted. Uh, I, I hear Afghanistan is going to need a ambassador soon. Uh, wow, ambassador to the Taliban. So uh, maybe maybe we can put Newsom in in that position. Wow, William. Wow. But but returning to something else you said uh, when we're talking about you know this or we something else we were talking about we we're talking about this propaganda and everything and how we've just gotten down to the level of psychological attacks rather than information. I think it's directly related to just sort of why I don't know if it's the new generation or it's the Internet approaches things, but it's encapsulated in this article and this idea that was going around this past week. I don't even remember how it came across my feed. It might have been one of those Apple News updates. I think it was that either that or Christine got it as an update on Instagram or something and showed it to me. But, but the article I have for this is from InStyle, and it says roaching, roaching is the new dating trend that's as gross as it sounds. And so if you scroll down here, it says, this is from the article, roaching is a dating term coined that refers to someone that is sleeping around with many, says Susan Trombetti, matchmaker and CEO of Exclusive Matchmaking. She adds that even if you're aware of one other sexual partner, you could realize there are... There are, in fact, many. The term comes from the ickiness of seeing one of these nasty little bugs, but knowing when you turn the lights on, there are lots of them. This is the thing about this. There's a new term, but this isn't a new behavior. And look, I get that. Dude, this isn't even a... When I read this article, I was like, this isn't even a new term. Because, I I mean, I double-checked. Roaching and roachin and all its variants, not in Urban Dictionary with anywhere close to this uh, definition. And we all know Urban Dictionary, the last and best place to get unbiased uh, um, information. Uh, uh, fuck Wikipedia, right? So yeah, I, I don't, I don't see any definition of roaching in Urban Dictionary with any references before this article. So I don't believe it. it- well, and that's part of it. That's part of it. That's part of what I was talking about. There is this obsession with new terms and new labels for things that already exist. It, it, it's constantly trying to make fetch happen, if, if you get the Mean Girls reference. And what I'm talking about is, I get that there's slang, and I get that there are, you know kids like to come up with things to say, and people like to come up with new th- ways to say things, but that's usually because... Or comes from kids going through new things, right? The new generation goes through new things. But do we not, William, have this obsession online, and perhaps it's bled in the general culture, of doing things like this? Where we come up with new terms to define things that already exist and try to make them happen and have other people accept them. Am I imagining this trend? 
No, I think the the first step in getting enforcing it uh, on other people is to uh, make sure you label it, right? And so somehow this is going to be, you know, right now this is this article is saying you know it's bad and stay away from these people, but I'm sure it will become part of a social justice movement, uh, and uh, people will there will be some people out there who will uh, defend this lifestyle and take on this moniker and call it a slur. Give it a, I would say nine to eighteen months. Uh, that's slow. I think it'll be in a couple months. But and that's the entire point. What you're saying is the entire point, because the the okay. That's what I was gonna say. The, sorry, I lost myself for a second there. The need to redefine things is ultimately coming from the need to redefine the country and redefine our ideals. And what I mean by that is they're redefining things, and this is something I noticed with everything. By being willfully, I don't even want to say ignorant, they're willfully disregarding all of human history. And this is a perfect example of this. This is used to just be somebody we called a player or a fuckboy or something like that, right? So why, why is there a term all of a sudden of roaching? Because like you just said, William, they want to control the conversation. Because if they control the conversation, then they control everything. Yeah. And that's why I think there's a battle right now for everyone to re- redefine things and come up with their own terms for things that already exist. It's we see this this isn't this is a a technique that comes from academia, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, this is something that is used in academia. You know, I have to put on my uh, you know, my uh uh I guess uh, promiscuous hat on for a second here. Uh so one of the points they make in the article, they're, they're like, hey, this is one of the suspect behaviors. Uh, and in, now I'm quoting. They flat out tell you that they want to keep it casual. Even if it seems like more than a hookup or a friends with benefits situation, if the relationship isn't moving forward, then Trumbetti guesses they're avoiding getting serious. Expressing their desire to keep it casual is a clear sign that things aren't progressing and there are probably other people involved. All right. So let's think about that for a second. You're supposed to be, it's sus if someone is honest that they're not ready for a serious relationship. And then you're supposed to immediately draw the conclusion that therefore they're seeing other people. Multiple other people. Yeah. <laughs> How does this make sense? How is this not slut shaming? Uh, or whatever else uh, in the past we've uh, made up labels for? And then... I mean, I'll slut shame all, all day, William. So I, I agree with you that the, of the slippery slope of logic here. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I agree with the slippery slope of logic. It's fine if someone wants to keep it casual and they say that. And then if you don't want that, move on. Exactly. That part that I'm completely. fine with. Yeah, I agree with that clearly. Right. But then we jump right. straight to therefore they're seeing other people. They're a bad person. Right. Because obviously you, you know, you know, you are. And let's be honest. They're talking about women, right? You, woman, are worthy of being worshipped by anybody that you deign to spend time with. So if someone, you know, if someone just wants to, if someone independent of you wants to have a casual relationship and they've been upfront and honest with you, you should immediately assume, even though you're pushing them to be more serious, that other people are involved. That's the only reason why, right? It's not the thing that they said, which is, I don't want a serious relationship. Well, two things. One, I think this is a, a case of projection that it's been in my experience that, or when I was dating, it's my experience that when a woman said that or didn't want to push it forward, there was at least one other guy that she wasn't being upfront about. 
So I think there's a little bit of projection here on the case of the woman saying this or whoever came up with this. But the second thing that I wanted to be clear about when I said I'll slut shame all day is, yeah, people have every right to communicate clearly. And if somebody wants to do that, fine. But I do strongly believe that, you know, if you're sleeping with that many people at once, you're doing more harm to yourself than you are good. And it's it's yeah. it's an example of your own issues with self-esteem. So exactly. there, there's issues with good communication and good behavior for yourself of a can versus should sort of idea. Yeah. And that's a great point. I mean, you know, we've, uh, I think I've talked about before on the show, you know, there's a difference between, uh, there's a a definite definite lack of uh, self-esteem, sort of trying to get self-esteem out of romantic relationships. And I'm putting romantic in scare quotes here. Um, If you're, if you're just serially casual with lots of very short term um, relationships, that is something that that is something that you need to work on for your own happiness, right? You right. shouldn't feel guilty or ashamed. Yeah, you should be feel guilty or ashamed about it. Um, you should you should start to self reflect and say, well, what am what am I trying to get out of it? And then clearly, right. I'm not getting something out of it because you know these things are just you know cycling through. I'm I'm burning through people. What's going on? Right. It's a red flag for yourself. And these terms in itself, I would say, inhibit people from doing that because it creates these false concretes like, oh, he's just roasting. That's just the way it is. Or ghosting. Right. I think of the term ghosting. And so I've been watching uh, the show Married at First Sight, where these couples allow or these individuals allow matchmakers in different cities. So it's in the city of Houston right now. This, the season that's airing to match them with someone who they see for the first time at the altar and then marry them. And this one couple actually ended up, they had already known each other. They, when they were younger had both run student organizations at their, at different colleges in Texas. And so they had known each other and they had gone on a date and she texted him later and was like, Oh, you know, there's this m- museum of, fine arts or something like that, this museum exhibit that I don't want to go to alone. And he never responded. And she was like, yeah, my husband ghosted me. Isn't that funny? And you know, that's a funny story, but it's also like, if you're just waiting for someone to respond and they don't, they're not necessarily ghosting you, right? He, he may not have thought like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to ghost her. She could have texted or called again to see if something would have happened but we create these terms it's like oh i didn't get a response in three hours he's ghosting me do you see what i'm saying yeah yeah man it's it's, uh maybe maybe that maybe that's uh part of my uh part of my dating troubles is uh i'm constantly ghosting people because you know i work during the day and i don't text well, that's what I mean. I mean, you're you're the type of person who that's your communication style where I've learned, like, I have to be very explicit with what I say to you. Like, I have to be like, can you record at this time? Or I have to ask direct questions. When is your kickball game? When does it get done? What time is good for you? How long do you need? I have to be very explicit with you about that in order to schedule recording. I have learned that for someone who doesn't know you and they're trying to get to know you. They might think, oh, he's ghosting me or, oh, you know. He he's five minutes late because he had to get his coffee. Oh, he's ghosting me. Yeah, yeah. and that's what these terms do. Think about yeah. what roaching is going to do now. Oh, he said. Oh, he's keeping it casual. Oh, like you just said. Oh, he's roaching me. He's sleeping with five other girls. 
That's a yeah. big leap. That it is. It's such a huge leap, man. Like I'm just imagining. I, I try to put myself in that situation. Uh, you know, since I, I'm identifying as a woman, um, and you know, I, I I do so so many things during the week, right? Like I'm usually like I usually have to set aside some time to like I actually have to do this to remember to reach out to people and just say hi and like you know ask about the weekend not because I don't care because I do care and I do want to know but you know I have a full I have a full schedule Justin I I got a lot of things going on I'm closing an SBA loan for the, for the second store I'm you know worried about the lease I've got you know uh, training up in a new assistant manager all these things that I'm doing and. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in those things, and you know, someone someone's random text of, uh, "Hey, how you doing?" Uh, sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle, right? And uh, so maybe I'm inadvertently ghosting people, Justin. Maybe maybe I'm I'm roaching, but I'm not getting the benefit, quote unquote, benefit of roaching. I'll right. tell you that right now. Right. Well, and that's there's an argument to be made for prioritizing and things like that. Like, oh, this guy didn't prioritize that girl. And like, oh, if you accidentally go someone, you're not prioritizing him. So you didn't really like him anyway. But are you supposed to prioritize somebody you've met once and been on one date with? <laughs> like, it, this is this Hollywood fairy tale of like, oh, my God, I automatically am in, in deep love with this person. Right. And that's, it's a, the, that's a fun it's feeling. The stereo, it's the stereotype, uh, the stereotypical joke about lesbian relationships. Right. Like they, they right. move in on the second date. Right. And that's a, that can be a fun feeling. It can be enchanting. Right. It can be intoxicating, but it's almost always not healthy. So it's just it's insane. And, you know, when I'm talking about like this redefinition thing and pivoting and everything dude did you see what OnlyFans said they were going to do this week oh man now we haven't we haven't talked about OnlyFans on the show i don't i don't think right i think i've cracked some jokes but but no we some haven't jokes talked but about we've it. never we've never taken seriously the phenomenon right right we and, have not we have not posted your OnlyFans link right <laughs> i don't have one but <laughs> it's instagram come on now well, right. I mean, that's exactly where it came from, right? And, yeah. and that's that's the first big thing about this is women on social media realized, and this is for any number of reasons, and we can go down the rabbit hole of why men are acting this way, but they realized simply by posting pictures online, they get a shitload of attention, right? Think of like the the base number of followers for a woman versus the base number of followers for a man. I'd love to see the study for that. Right. But I know that like any, you know, average looking woman who posts pictures of herself will have at least a K one uh, K followers. Right. One thousand followers. At least. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Where, where for me as a guy, like I've tried posting interesting concept on Instagram. It's tough for me to get followers. Right. So there's that's what they saw. And they were like, wait, we can monetize this. So they started using their social media as advertisement for more explicit content that they could make money off of. Now, the platform that they began to use this to do is OnlyFans. OnlyFans didn't begin as a sexually explicit content, but it became that way because that community flocked to the site. Uh, and I, let's be I honest, they read... flocked to their site because they only take a 20% cut. And okay. just to put that into context, uh, YouTube takes um, 45% of the revenue yeah. when they deign not to just advertise on it and tell you 
not safe for monetization, but then monetize it anyway and take the money. Right. Now, let's be clear about this. So this is a can versus should example, just like the whole roaching thing, right? You can do some things, but should you? And that's my whole thing with OnlyFans, right? Like, I get why women are doing this, right? Especially during the lockdown, where you can just be home doing videos and pictures and making money off that. I get it. I get that there's a market there. But should you? For me, I don't think this is something that reflects somebody of healthy self-esteem or healthy productivity. I don't think this is good principles to, to live off of the whole idea of, oh, you know, I'm just an average normal person, but I'm going to try and turn myself into basically a professional porn star. A professional independent porn star is what a lot of these people are, whether yeah. it's softcore or hardcore. And the delineation between softcore and hardcore, I believe, is showing the actual act of penetration. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think that's the traditional definition. Right. So a lot of these are just softcore porn, right? But there are a lot of OnlyFans accounts that I believe are hardcore as well, right? Yes, and many uh, catering to all fetishes that you can imagine. Right. And so the market makes sense. But I mean, am I, what do you think about that, William? Where I'm saying I get that you can and I get the why people are doing it, but I don't think it's something that should be done. What do you think of that? Well, I I have a little different view. I think that the problem with things like OnlyFans and the way we're seeing it uh, and the simping we see on Twitch and on OnlyFans, you know, the hot tub meta on Twitch, uh, for those of you uh, deep in the know. Um, Is the hot tub meta that, uh, is that like a joke saying like if a woman does a Twitch stream in a hot tub that she gets more viewers? Well, so the the meta is, uh, you know, talking about the meta game, right? So the metagame on Twitch for a while was uh, buy an inflatable uh, hot tub because you're allowed, if you are in the pool, you are allowed to wear a swimsuit uh, uh, bikini, basically. And so for a while, uh, all of the all of the uh, thoughts uh, got into a hot tub and, you know, rode on their body and like they would just have just chatting streams in a hot tub. And so that was the meta and everyone was making money, but advertisers didn't like it. So... Twitch made a category for hot tub streams and then demonetized it. And so then the meta shifted and it went back to something else. I can't remember what the next thing was. So but, the uh, meta game is versus Twitch to be able to have more explicit content on Twitch without Twitch demonetizing. Yes. You. So that okay. the simps will pay money. Yep. Yes. And, uh, and the, I, here's what I would say. I think that there is a role for healthy, uh, pornography. Um, I think the closest I've seen in the gay world is Himeros, um, where they're explicitly saying like, hey, this they're showing, you know, um, maybe some question. Like I said, this mix, but their their attempt is to show real uh, loving sex. It be being instruct in, in, in uh, like almost instructive in some ways. Right. Um, it's not the uh, the uh, what you would typically find on a, any sort of random gay porn site. Anyway, without getting into that, I think there is a role for that. I think you're right that for most people who are involved in the industry, there's usually some sort of trauma involved about why they're in the industry, right? So it, it, there's no question that you're pointing at something that actually is happening and does happen. What I will say is I think the problem with OnlyFans and the Instagram girls and all thoughtery in general, whether it's male or female thoughts, by the way, because there are male thoughts as well, 
um, is the parasocial relationship. That's the unhealthy right. thing. I don't think pornography in general, uh, while there are serious problems there, I don't think pornography in principle is automatically going to lead to these things, these psychological issues. They can. The parasocial thing, though, that absolutely does. There is a, uh, you know, we talk all the time in the uh, Marxist language of power imbalance. There's a huge power imbalance between the thought and the simp. And it's it's basically, you look at it, it's it's like a drug dealer, right? Right. They're giving out their attention like uh, like they would a drug. And... And for these males, it, it, it sort of hacked the pleasure center evolutionarily of a, a certain type of male. And uh, for someone with low self-esteem, body issues, um, um, all those sort of things, this is a trap. People spend thousands and tens of thousands of, of dollars. Um, and then don't even get me started how OnlyFans is being used for um, escort services and... Um, and human trafficking and all sorts of other things as well. Um, that was a story that uh, it, it just came out, I think, um, yesterday from the BBC or, or Thursday. Um, so, yeah, it, the, the problem here is the parasocial relationship, this replacing of actual real relationships with, with this, oh, if I give this person money, they give me attention and I get that dopamine hit like if I had a real connection. But it's not a real connection. Now, there is a way in which you can have this sort of fan-artist relationship, right? Not that, not that I'm applying the term artist to OnlyFans, folks, uh, uh, to, the, to, the, to the thoughts. But there is a way to do this. I mean, Justin, you've probably done this. I, I, I support a bunch of different folks on, on Patreon. We have Patreon supporters, right? But do we, do we form a parasocial relationship, an exploitative relationship with our listeners? No. And we've seen a lot of people get into trouble in the male into female way, right? Where males are manipulating females for sex, right? And we talk about the power balance there. But somehow when that's reversed, and it's the female primarily, like I said, there are male thoughts, female to male relationship where they're manipulating it for money, totally cool, right? Yeah, I mean the double the double standard is, is definitely there, and and everything you said is very well taken, and, and what I want to build off of there, and I don't I don't want to talk about pornography in general as a concept. I don't really have an, an a, a clear opinion on what you're saying about there being able to be healthy or good porn. So I, I don't have a statement about that. I just want to talk about what you said about OnlyFans in specific, because I think what you're pointing to, you know, this whole idea of exploiting simp's right, simp's being guys who will do anything just to get attention from girls, right? I think what the market's taking advantage of is a bad thing in our culture, a weakness, a negative thing in our culture, something that's destroying our culture, and they're not being productive with what they're doing. And in fact, I think they're hurting themselves even more because if you're doing something that's just taking advantage of people's weaknesses you are not actually doing things that are in line with reality and in line with making a flourishing life, right? The, the point of work and the point of creating value is to make life better. But if you're just doing things that harm other people's lives, because it's, it's as you said, William, if somebody already has this simp mentality 
And then they're going and they're giving money to get these dopamine hits. It's exactly like a, a, a drug dealer. It's exactly yeah. like a drug addict where they will hit rock bottom eventually because one, they're giving money. So they're losing something here, but and two, they're giving up their time, their time and their money. They're giving up their current time and their money. So their future time. Right. And they're creating a further dependency on these dopamine hits. So what before was a hypothetical thing, right? Oh, here's a picture of a girl on Instagram. Maybe she would talk to me. I can pretend now it's, Oh, she is talking to me. If I do this, I do this. I do this. I do get the attention back. So you're actually not even making reality better. You're making reality worse. And so think of the, think itself, of the, think of the, um, uh, not sunk cost. What am I thinking of? Uh, alternative missing the, the unseen alternative. You could be investing. This person could be investing in real relationships, right? right? With actual people or them or that themselves. would actually, yeah. Or themselves. Yeah. Or going to the gym, right? Right. Or, That's or the taking on a new thing, right? skill. People laugh at me. People laugh at me. And I, I tell, like, I, I, I tell my athletes this, right? And it's it's come up in class, but I'll, I'll tell, like, coworkers, right? I'll say this. Like, dating in L.A. was so bad and Southern California was so bad that I would always have a gym bag in my car. And if someone ghosted me or stood me up or whatever term you want to use showed up too late, I would just go to the gym instead. Because it's like, if I'm not investing the time in developing myself this way, and that's what I saw, trying to pursue a value I wanted, which was a relationship. That's such a great life hack. I'm going to put, I'm going to, I'm going to put my climbing stuff in the car every time, every time yeah. I go on a date now. And I dude, joke and I say, dude, why you, do you think I look the I, way I look? How many times do you think I got stood up? Yeah. Like just to, <laughs> just to, just to put you, just to, just to remind you that LA is still terrible at dating. I went on a second date with someone and there had been a couple weeks since we went between the first date and the second date. And on the second date, he let slip, blah, 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 my boyfriend. Oh, that's weird to say. Uh, we've just been going out for a, a week. I'm just like, wait, this is our second date and you're already have a boyfriend. This is uh, this is exactly what what I needed the gym bag in the car for, right? You would have said, "All right, see you later. I'm going to go to the gym." All right, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, so we get like, you know, we're not fans of OnlyFans, right? But the site, we have this, this, this smacks to me of too little, too late. It also smacks to me of shooting yourself in the foot. Like, I don't understand why if. OnlyFans was against it, they went along with it for so long. I mean, it seems like they were like, oh, now that we've made all this money off of you, now we're going to shut you down and we're going to pivot our business to try and do something else to clear our conscience. Because it's it's sort of like... No, I think... I, here's what no I think, here's what I think is happening. Here's what I think is happening. They aren't making money. They're only taking 20%. Uh, they... Uh, hosting this content has got to be expensive, Right. Oh yeah, hundred percent. They're probably out of money. They're they needed another venture round. No institutional invent, uh, investor is going to invest in porn. So the yeah. image of the site is that it's for porn, right? Uh, now the, the public image of the site. So no yeah. no institutional investor is going to you know raise money in a VC round or or provide money in a VC round uh, for OnlyFans. So they have to change the terms of service. And here's the thing: they've they've kind of been hinting at it for a while. I think they're they're just going to cut out hardcore. They're going to keep the softcore stuff, right? Tasteful nudes, quote unquote. They're going to keep. 
So, well, and what and what you just said, William, just to interrupt very quickly, I think they have a value in disincentivizing hardcore video posting and video posting in general. Because think about it, this is part of what we were just talking about about this this equation. We didn't talk about that part of the equation. It's expensive to host that kind of content on your own. So these women who are sort of more average looking or more average performers wouldn't be able to do it without somebody else, somebody else taking on the hosting fees. They would not be able to, because they couldn't make, they wouldn't have the business. Their losses would be underneath their revenue. So because OnlyFans isn't taking enough money, these people could get away with this sort of behavior. So this was yeah. sort of a, a lightning in a bottle situation to have this kind of culture arise, wasn't it? Well, we have to yeah, – absolutely, and we have to bring up one other point. Let's say you wanted to do this on your own. You know who wouldn't let you? MasterCard because they also don't want to support adult entertainment in any way because there's a ton of other issues that come with adult entertainment, right? And they don't want to deal with that either. The payment processors and banks won't let you accept payment. So uh, you'd have to set up your own payment infrastructure as well. You'd have to accept like Bitcoin or something, right? Because that's what I was just saying. Like do do Bitcoin through or do PayPal that you just put into Bitcoin and then you transfer Bitcoin to your bank or something, which is cumbersome. Yeah. Well, you couldn't even accept via PayPal, right? You'd have to do you'd have to accept Bitcoin directly or something because the payment process. That's the other thing. There's I know we know that MasterCard and uh, specifically, but other uh, payment processors are really against. Uh, you know, they're really taking on certain political causes. And for whatever reason, there's this puritanical uh, 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 streak as well. And and so, yeah, stuff that hosts adult content, they're not they're not down with. Well, you knew that. I didn't know that. So I have my end of the episode. But uh, before we get to the end of the episode and say what we learned this trip, we have some art stuff to talk about, some movie stuff to talk about. So let's do that in The Hopeful Bromantic with... JML. Put me into syndication. Broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. I need a rerun. Better cast the next series of events. In the air, timeline laps. My made for TV type was written off. In the last season when I wasn't focused on. As always, if you would like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so in our Discord channel. We have some great conversations in there. Uh, one of the midsiders in there is in New Zealand and has been giving us a firsthand perspective as to what's going on in there. You also saw me talk about, if you were in there, a, a smoothie truck canceling due to weather in Florida. They were going to come to our apartment complex. They canceled due to weather. The weather was rain. It was raining in Florida, so the smoothie truck canceled. Talked about that a little bit. So you can do that. Join our Discord. If you go to midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast and you click on any episode link, there's a join the Discord link. Click that, join that, come talk to us. The movie I wanted to review this week, William, is Respect. Respect is the Aretha Franklin biopicture starring Jennifer Hudson. Now, there's sort of a number of levels to talk about this movie on. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, which is a review in itself. So I'm just going to briefly go through uh, the sort of levels. So the first level is 
while watching the movie, I didn't have a terrible time at first. There are some good scenes in this movie, particularly in the middle of the movie when she writes the Respect remix and performs it in Madison Square Garden. That part of the movie is excellent. I enjoyed that very much. It was very well executed, especially because much of the movie seems to be about her finding her voice. There's emphasis when she's a kid, put on when she's a kid of her deciding not to speak and only singing instead. There's emphasis put on when she goes to New York and signs with a record label, only performing other people's songs and having no hits because she doesn't have anything to say. So up until that point, there was some good stuff in the movie. But it got to the point that two or three times I wanted the movie to be over. I mean, I actually looked over at Christine and was like, I'm ready for this movie to be over. And she said, I am too. And it's not often that I say that in a movie. And and that doesn't go to the length of the movie. It goes to the content of the movie and what's going on with the movie. And that's sort of the other two levels about this movie. So initially it's like I watched it. It wasn't terrible. It just felt a little bit long. It felt a little bit meandering. It didn't know what it was about. But then it gets to the end and it talks about her life and it just ends arbitrarily at a certain point. It doesn't keep going all the way to her death or show her like singing Obama's inauguration or anything as an old woman. It just it's just sort of it stops when she's recording her gospel album. So there's this whole thing with her being an alcoholic and her having these demons, and then she records her gospel album. So, as I said, that that's the second thing. It's overly long, and then the answer to the finding her voice and dealing with her darkness and her demons is, you know, the gospel album. And then on the that that's linked to uh, on the screen saying, you know, she continued to fight for social justice her whole life. So the answer to My voice is to give it over to God. And when you give it over to God, you fight for social justice. Now, Martin Luther King was a a character in this movie, but this ending is the third level of this movie, which changes my review of it. For most of the movie, I was like, ah, this is just a solid bro, right? Like, this is bad. This is fine. You know, there's some good things about it. It's about an artist. But then I started to think about the ending and think about what was going on throughout the movie. You know, they talk about her father and her father mistreating her. And they, you know, they talked, they, they didn't say directly, but, you know, her parents broke up because her father beat her mother. And then they show her being abused by her husband. And they show the racial tensions between white people and black people in this movie. And then there was one particular thing when she was a kid. Her father would have parties with everyone in the church group, right? Her dad was a minister. And at one point, a young man, and it's unclear how old he is, goes to her room and starts talking to her. And she's like 10 at this point, 11 or 12, somewhere between that age range. And this guy seems like he's in his 20s or his 30s, and he's, you know, asking her if she has a boyfriend and then says, I can be your boyfriend. And then he closes the door and the movie cuts. And then later in the movie, it shows that Aretha was pregnant uh, at a young age and she had kids when she was very young. But none of this is like said explicitly. It's not said directly. They do it in the most out of order way, indirect way. And I looked it up afterwards. She did have a kid when she was 12. She had two kids when she was that young. And 
nowhere is there any sort of proof or evidence or confirmation that it was through molestation or statutory rape. What the line is between those two things, I'm not sure. Uh, I did read on one website that there's a rumor that the artist Sam Cook had uh, molested her, molested her and, you know, committed statutory rape. But there's no confirmation of that. It was just sort of like a couple sentences in this one article. So basically what happens is, in order to push forward an agenda, this movie made up things about Aretha Franklin's life. Now, I get it. It's fiction. They're trying to make a point. They're trying to make a point. But when it's a bio picture, to me, that's an issue. If we're talking about an, an episode of SVU, where they often will take rip from the headline stories, change the names and change details. So it's a fictionalization. That's different. But when it's a bio picture, I think this is an injustice to Aretha Franklin. It's an injustice to if she did suffer that, the things she did suffer, the things she did deal with, that people are now going to watch this movie and, and say, oh, did you know Aretha Franklin was molested as a child? Rather than celebrating what was good about her, it's turned into the world is about the oppressor and the oppressed, and this is how somebody suffered because of it. Ultimately, this movie, this is a no. This is a just no. Do not see this movie. Unless you're into that sort of thing, which it I would say, like why a, are you into It sounds like a victim, victimization fetish film, right? Like, look at Aretha it, the victim. Right. And when you're watching it, you're not initially aware of that. But then you get to the end and you're like, wait, wait a second, what? And then when you actually look up what actually happened and what's actually known, it becomes clear that's what they were going for. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, I didn't know anything about Aretha Franklin. I didn't know anything. So when I saw it, I was like, wow, she had a really messed up life. But then I read, read about it and I was like, wow, they really went over the top with this. So... This is a this is a no, you know, technically, is there is it terrible? I'll no. although there were times where there was a once one specific time where I was like, the directing of this movie is very all over the place. It was, it was it's not the worst movie I've ever seen, right? It's not like a book smart, but it's the more you think about it, the worse it gets. Have you ever seen a movie like that, William? <laughs> I was going to say Borat. But uh, I know that's a controversial opinion uh, amongst some. But yeah, I've Maybe. actually never seen Borat. So how about that? Okay. Well, I don't think you should waste your time. Yeah. All right. Well, do we want to give people some other tips? Talk about some movies that are going to come out. So we have trailer takedown, which we do every episode, and I put the trailers in the Discord on Saturdays. I do that so you can watch them whenever you want. You could watch them before an episode, after an episode, or during an episode. You could watch a trailer, we talk about it. Watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Nightbooks is a Netflix original horror movie for children. And I know that sort of sounds like an oxymoron, but there are sort of horror movie type elements in movies for children where it's about scaring them. Uh, think about like Goosebumps, right? It's This sort of has like... A goosebumps feel, but a little scarier. So the premise of this movie is a witch needs a child for some reason. It doesn't explain it. Maybe it's explained in the movie to write stories for her every night. 
So this kid likes writing and she kidnaps him and keeps him in her apartment, which is hard to get out of, right? It's like a maze and like you try and get out and like walls, uh, wall walls appear or they get open doors get bricked over. So and this kid meets another girl who's being held captive by the witch and they have to escape together. The witch is played by Kristen Ritter. She's been in things like Breaking Bad and The Bee in Apartment 23. I actually quite enjoyed this trailer, and I thought this looked like sort of a classic children's movie. And what I mean by that is this is something that, like, you know, if it had come out when we were kids, like the never-ending story. It sort Mm. of has that sort of feel to it that I think a lot of kids will remember this and it'll be really memorable. It seemed very unique. Her portrayal of the witch seemed very very iconic. I think this could be pretty good. So to me, to me, this is the definition of uh, a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think also the production value, of course, with Netflix, it looks pretty good. You know, that there's some cool effects uh, shown in the trailer. And, uh, you know, you always worry with uh, child actors, uh, the acting could be a little all over the place, but it looked it looked okay. It looked like it looked like there was some, you know, there was some depth to the uh, style. So yeah, isn't that part I mean, of the charm of these kids' movies, though? That the yes, actors aren't always that great. Yeah, that is part of the charm. Uh, you, you brought up Never Ending Story, right? There's uh, definitely some charm there. Uh, at, Betray at you? Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely some charm there, but it it has to be to a certain level. You know, it can't be just completely awful and and this looks you know this looks intriguing and i agree with you netflix and hug netflix and hug second trailer the voyeurs is an amazon original movie about a couple i think in new york city it's in some sort of city reminded me of new york who realize who move in together and then realize they can see into the apartment across the street even when they're that couple is having sex and it seems like Things begin to unravel as they become obsessed with watching that couple to the point that the couple seems to realize that they're being watched or they want to be watched intentionally because then like the the woman goes to the place of employment of the, the woman across the street who's watching them and then that the woman who's watching them also has interactions with the man they're watching. He seems to seek her out as well. And it's also interesting that in this trailer, the the story seems to become more about the woman the, than the man who, who moves in together. So it seems to be more about her as, as the movie goes on. Um, I think this trailer makes the movie look better than it has any right to be. And what I mean by that is like the acting looks good. The production value looks good. Like it looks like they didn't try to shoot this naturalistically. This could very easily have been a naturalistic story, but I, I don't know. Like it, it's it's tough for me to want to, to to find motivation to want to watch this. It's just sort of like, why are you watching these people? And if their windows, they you know they've got giant glass, you know their entire wall is glass and the the curtains are open. Don't you think maybe they want you to watch? Don't you think maybe there's something sketchy about that? Also, do you think you're the only people in this giant city block who are watching here? Uh, there's just too much in the premise that I'm just like, 
it, it it reflects as we were talking about OnlyFans, it reflects the sort of moral corruption on both sides of these both sides of the glass, to be honest. Uh, so it, it's tough for me to find motivation to watch this, even though it looks like they did as good of a job as they could with it. Tackle. Tackle. Justin, you hit the nail on the head. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, this could be an interesting premise. It could be a commentary on different things. It doesn't look like it is, right? Like based on the preview, there's no hint at that. Right. And, there's no rear window in this, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and also... It, what you were saying, like, hey, this is a huge city block. If if they can see, a ton of other people can see, too. So, yeah, it, I, I have problems with the premise, and I have problems that the premise isn't even... In the trailer, it's done so well, and so it's hard to criticize the trailer in this way. But it looks like, based on how good the trailer is, I have to automatically assume that there's no larger theme that this is integrating to, other than the typical... Like you said, a, a a mother's nightmare, right? Uh, like it, it, it seems like it's focused on the on the female character and um and this obsession. Okay, cool. What's the theme? We're not really given any hints in the in there. So that that despite it looking like it's being shot in a in a romantic way, I don't think it has a theme. Or if it does, it's going to be something very small and related to. Who knows what, right? Maybe it's the patriarchy. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think it's likely the patriarchy because the whole thing seems to be like, oh, he's cheating on his girlfriend, the one they're watching. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, look how good looking he is. But it really seems to me like he's sort of the the controlling one or the dom in that relationship. Yeah. The dominant, whatever the fucking term is. And it seems like he uses the voice. This is where I, I, I suspected the whole thing was going. He uses putting it out there and inviting voyeurs as a way of soliciting random women into the relationship. That's what it seemed like Maybe. for me from watching the trailer. Yeah. And if it's going in that direction, then definitely no interest. So, uh, like you said, I'm going to tackle it. Tackle. Third trailer. Best sellers stars Aubrey Plaza and Michael Caine in it. Aubrey Plaza is trying to get an author who's sort of old and embittered and cynical to write a book he owes her publishing company and then go on a book tour. This seems like the sort of typical, oh, you know, they come from completely different perspectives, but they're able to learn from each other at the end and then make the book a success. There were things in here about, you know, marketing a book is no longer just about the book itself. It's about the marketing in itself. And it's about, you know, him not enjoying life and her helping him enjoy life again. The performances look fine. This look kind of like it's sort of like a romantic comedy without the romance because of the age difference. But it's sort of like, oh, you know, they had to come together and they learn and they grow as people. If this is your kind of thing, I'm not going to begrudge you seeing this movie. And look, if if Christine wanted to see this movie, I would see it and I would probably enjoy it. But this isn't something that I'm necessarily going to go out of my way to see. So I'm going to give this a tackle. Tackle. Justin, this is get him to the Greek, but for girls. I'm going to tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Eternals is the 
I don't know if we've talked about it on the show before, but I think this is the only trailer I remember seeing. I remember seeing a teaser, but Eternals is the Marvel movie starring Angelina Jolie and one of the guys from Game of Thrones and uh, who else is in there? Oh, Selma Hayek is in there. What happens in this trailer is you find out this race of people have been on Earth for 7,000 years protecting us from demons called deviants. But Thanos' snap, or more correctly, Iron Man's snap, has endangered the world. Because all those people coming back at once created enough energy to create an apocalypse. So the Eternals are going to have to find each other on Earth and stop it. So first, I will say the good things about this trailer. This trailer had a different look than any Marvel movie I've seen. It looks sort of almost Dune-esque. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying it looked as good as Dune. I'm just saying it looked like it was going for sort of that more self-serious sci-fi feeling to it. But then that's contradicted at the end with the stupid Ikea joke. Oh, I hate that. I hated that. Oh, right. Well, that's that's the problem with Marvel, right? Anytime it looks like, hey, they're going to do something good, they still have to stick to their formula. And as much as they tried to market this movie in this trailer as like, hey, here's a different Marvel movie, you know it's still going to be a Marvel movie. Does that mean I would never see this at any point in my life? No. Does that mean I'm not going to see it in theaters? I don't know. I can't say. It depends on what's out in that during that time period. Um, the major thing here is connecting this to Loki. And as I've said... I think that Loki is setting up Marvel saying a benevolent dictatorship is the best way to run the world. And that's essentially what these Eternals are. And that's why I think ultimately they're going to end up being the benevolent dictators that keep order in the multiverse. Because what have they been doing? There are more powerful species that came to Earth to protect us. And I do like the line where it was like, if you love something, you protect it. I like that. That's that goes back to, you know, you are my world. This is my world. You are my world in, in Batman versus Superman. I do like that that part. But the fact that they've been around and they only protect us from certain things, like that's the definition of a benevolent dictator. That's essentially what they are. They are dictating human life without humans realizing what's going on. And I think this is a, a key piece of evidence and a, a key point that shows us where Marvel is headed with this next phase of things. So... Because I'm in between on this movie, I'm going to give it um, what I consider the in-between rating, which is Netflix and Hug. Netflix and Hug. It might be Disney Plus and Hug. Yeah, yeah. Realistically. Justin, you know what this universe needs? Iron Man. Where is that individualistic pursuit of values? Fuck these benevolent dictators. I, well, that's all I could off. think of. I know that's all I could think of when I'm watching this trailer is who are these assholes, you know, sitting around. They tried to hang a lantern on it, but sitting around during all these disasters doing nothing. And then now they're like, oh, but now we're going to step in and start doing things. It's like, fuck you guys. Right. Like, what is this world to you? It doesn't make even hanging a lantern on it. It doesn't make any sense. And, uh, I I agree with you. I think the joke at the end just just pushed me over the edge. It's like this is just more modern Marvel drivel. Um, would I see this movie? Maybe if it's on a plane and I've seen all the other movies and I want right. to watch like, something new to fall asleep to. I watched Spider Man um, Far From Home on a plane. So yeah. same thing. Yeah, you know, I, I I this is gonna one final rant uh, that this film doesn't even deserve. 
Um, I, I can't remember the name, uh, but there's a, a a YouTuber that talks about. Um, I think it's called the Fourth Age. Is is the YouTuber? Um, he talks about uh writing and um comics and sci-fi and fantasy, and he's talked about how in the next ten years we're going to see a shift. We have to inevitably we will see a shift back to individualistic heroes, more towards like the think of like Homer and the Iliad and things like that. Right. We're going to see this shift back because there's nothing else to be said in this collectivist world. It's become a hundred percent formulaic. And just by default, you're going to see writers move in this direction and get wildly popular because of it. Um, and, and we're going to move away from this collectivistic, like everything is about the universe. It's about, the the where and not the who and we're going to see a shift back to the who and i for one can't wait for that so tldr tackle tackle i like the way you concretized it in the where versus the who that's a very good way of saying it totally stole it from my youtube it was so clear i'll post the video in discord uh because it, it, it's it he that he's definitely more of an aristotelian maybe augustinian you know he's he definitely more influenced by christianity than aristotle i would say but more in that sort of you know um you know the august augustinian sort of way but he's absolutely right on this yeah that, no uh, like i said it's a great concept I, lo- I like the where versus who i also wanted to just uh very briefly touch on something so you got the sense of the benevolent dictatorship while watching it as well yeah, yeah. When, as soon as they hung the lantern on the, well, why didn't you do anything before? And it's like, oh, well, we were told not to. It's like, well, yeah, they, they tried to say they don't that. interfere in human versus human conflicts. Yeah, Thanos is not human. Right. So I, I know. Uh, that's why they're, that's why it's, it's definitely like God. It's definitely like God because they're talking about supernatural elements. And that's why I think ultimately they're going to be the ones who keep the multiverse in order, if that makes sense. They're going to replace the organization in Loki's show. So, All right. What did we learn this trip, William? Well, I learned that I can, I'm going to have to close down my OnlyFans and move to a new site. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Uh, I learned about payment processing for the porn industry and things i didn't know about before like i didn't know that mastercard and banks didn't do these sort of things uh is it even you can't purchase porn using credit cards william you can but even like uh which one is it Pornhub has had trouble with payment processors they they dropped interesting yeah i did not know any of that so there you go learn something new every day I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. As I always say, if it wasn't for you all, this would just be me talking into a microphone in a closet. It kind of is still that, but it makes me feel a little better to know that some people are listening to this. If you want to support the show, you can do so in a number of ways. There's the midside.com slash store. Go on there, pick up a t-shirt. You can buy my novel, the midside.com slash cut, uh, the cut where you can see, you know, when I talked about respect, I talked about how, ironically, the movie does not respect her because it's a biopic. It goes out of its way to disrespect Aretha Franklin. So even though my story, The Cut, is based on a true story, I still respect the reality of the people in the story who it's based on. 
Uh, you can also support our Patreon or our locals, the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals. Those are the Patreon is per episode, locals is per month. And most of all, William, the best thing you can do to support the show is what? Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a friend about the midside. Let's keep our community, not our collective, our community growing. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emelzneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. That last drop is dedicated to our friends in Australia and New Zealand. Keep on refusing. I was just, I was just going to say that, William, when you when you played it, I was going to be like, man, we should have played that drop when we were talking about Australia. Yep, yep.